0: Brokenness and daily experience is simply the response of humility to the conviction of God. Brokenness and daily experience is simply the response of humility to the conviction of God. If there's uh, one phrase, maybe there'll be some other ones, that's one that I really want it to just sink into your mind, into your heart. Uh, God wants us to be broken, and, and how is that lived out in our lives is that we're responding in humility when God convicts us. And all throughout the day, God will convict us. Uh, I was uh, listening to one preacher, he was talking about the Christian life is like a, a pilot uh, with the airplane, and you, know, you get on that flight, and you think it's a straight flight to Kansas City, but there's all kinds of adjustments he's making. Maybe there's some wind that blows, so he adjusts the plane this way. Maybe something else happens, he adjusts it that way. All throughout that flight, there's adjustments. All throughout the day, as we walk with God, there's adjustments. Uh, we're sensitive in seeking God and wanting to respond to humility, We sang two songs that, it's hard to get your favorite songs, but these two are, I believe, my favorite hymns. What a friend we have in Jesus. Uh, What peace we often forfeit. I've been there. (laughs) Because I didn't take it to the Lord in prayer. You know, you pray, uh, you you give those things to the Lord, and it's amazing. uh, That sweet hour of prayer and how God just changes you. Uh, Maybe your circumstance doesn't change, but God will change you. And, uh, and then my favorite song, my favorite hymn of all time is Holy, Holy, Holy. Uh, that is just a, a powerful song. I believe that, you know, some songs we sing, uh, maybe the words, the music don't quite match. That song matches <laughs> the words, the music. And I, I feel like that someday we're going to be singing that in heaven. Uh, I know you're standing here and, and I don't want to have you stand too long, but um, thinking about the, the goal of revival. You know, a lot of times we pursue revival, but we're pursuing the wrong things. Some people say, Well, I want revival because uh, we want to have increased attendance in the church. I-, I want revival so we have better love offerings. I want revival so, you know, all these different things, my family will be better and all of that. But is there a higher goal? Is there a higher prize? Is there a higher desire? What's the goal of revival? That question is answered in Psalm 85 and verse 6 Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice? in thee. Revival starts with God, but the goal of revival is God himself. And we're pursuing all other kinds of things. Oh, we want revival so that America will be turned around. That may be a fruit. All those other things, I'm not trying to, to downplay those other things, but those are fruits of revival, not the goal of revival. The goal of revival is God himself. God called me to be an evangelist when I was 15, and then I mentioned it yesterday, there's nothing that appealed to me about being an evangelist, and that calling has never left. It's only intensified. You had missionaries here yesterday, and you know they're called to Brazil and and uh, and Japan, and you know three weeks down the road, you're not going to be thinking about Brazil and Japan, but those missionaries can't get it off their mind. It's a calling. It's consistent, and that's exactly how I feel about being an evangelist. It's a calling. It's consistent. But God has shown me that my goal in life is not to be an evangelist. Though every major decision I've ever made in my life has been in the light of being an evangelist, including my wife. My goal in life is not to be an evangelist, my goal in life is God Himself. Philippians 1 for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul says it's it's gain when I when I die. Why? So I'm with Christ. What's the best thing about heaven? God Himself. I had an evangelist friend that, that had, uh, they had a testimony time one night and during the revival meeting and this pastor said, I want to I have uh, some testimony about what you're looking forward to about heaven. And, and one by one, people gave great testimonies, what they're looking forward to about heaven. You know, looking forward, there's no more sin, uh, no more sickness, no more pain. You know, some of you are in physical pain right now and, and we won't have that in heaven. Another person says, I, I'm looking forward to seeing my husband that's gone on before me. And, and one by one, they, they gave some wonderful things about Heaven, but my evangelist friend, Ron Comfort, he said, my heart began to become grieved because of all the testimonies that night, not one person mentioned Jesus Christ. What's the best thing about heaven? God himself. I'm not trying to downplay all those other things because they're great, they're wonderful, but the greatest thing is God himself. Then we think of prayer. What's the goal of prayer? God. It's getting closer to him. It's God Himself. Oh, there's fruits of prayer. There's some wonderful things. But the goal is God Himself. We're going to take our Bibles and turn to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 57. If there was a, a passage of Scripture that God has been working on me with more than anyone last few years, and, and really it, it describes my heartbeat. Uh, this describes what, what my passion is, is Isaiah 57 in verse 15. I used to sign the Bible Ephesians 6:10 that was my life verse but but I believe this has changed and it's this is my my verse Isaiah 57:15 For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity whose name is holy I dwell in the high and holy place I love this with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. We're going to pray, but I'm going to ask you to to think of three things about God's character. Maybe it's God's love, God's mercy, God's grace. And let's, instead of of, uh, having uh, uh, God focus on us, let's focus on Him for just a few moments. And there where you're at, thank God for something about His character. Uh, right where you're at, and and we'll just take a few moments, and then I'll pray. Lord, there is no God that we can compare you unto. There is nothing we can compare you to. You are supreme. You are greater than the greatest. You are higher than the highest. You are the highest being that we could ever approach. And and it just amazes me that that we, though, though sinful, though unlovely, through Christ can come before your presence boldly. Lord, I thank you for the privilege and the responsibility that we have to pray. And I thank you, Lord, for your character. I thank you for your holiness, your majestic cleanness. There is none holy as you. Lord, we sang about it. And uh, Lord, though the eye of sinful man, thy glory may not see. Lord, we're going to see you someday in your holiness. when we're in heaven. We'll see that glory and what a day it will be. Lord, I don't want to wait just now. I wait till then. I want you to come down now. Well, there have been times where I've, I, I've seen, it seems, your glory or a portion of your holiness and, and your manifest presence. Lord, I've been there and we ask that you would do that with us here. Lord, as I prayed with the men and I don't need to be here. Lord, I don't want to be a hindrance tonight. And again, I, if I am, would you please take me out? God, I don't have to be here tonight, but you do. Or this is a meeting that, that was not scheduled, so to say, normally. Lord, this is something you have placed upon our hearts. Lord, you are calling us, you are drawing us, and we are coming before you, telling you tonight on, a, on an off night, on a Monday, that, Lord, we're serious and we have come here tonight for you. And who we need is you. So, Lord, exalt yourself tonight. May we see you higher than we've ever seen you before. Give us a bigger view of you than we've ever had before. Lord, change us. Revive us. Do an eternal work in our hearts. And Lord, again, we we pray that you'd bind the evil one and that you would just take over this place and, and dominate the rest of this service. Lord, receive the glory that is due to your name. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Before I begin on this message, one of the things that will warm your heart when it comes to prayer is worship. We are very weak in that area. Often we go to the Lord with our requests, and we need to. But we need to come before Him with worship and, and, uh, and love and adoration. A.W. Tozer, it was said, would spend two hours in worship before he ever got into praying. I've not reached that point. I, I've tried. It's, it's hard to do. I, I've set my timer sometimes. I'm like, okay, for the next five minutes... Lord, I'm not going to ask you for anything. I'm just going to worship you. And I'll think of everything I can think of. And I'll look down, and I still have three minutes to go. And uh, you know, it's it's hard. But uh, it's something that I want to encourage you to do. Every day, spend time in worship with the Lord. The heart grows cold and callous. Get back to Him and worship. There's many ways that you can worship Him. You can talk about His character. You can talk about the names of God. We've been given a book, uh, the Psalms, uh, that's a worship book. You could take Psalm 93, Psalm 8, uh, many other psalms. You can take a hymnal. Now, don't steal the hymnal here. But uh, you can take a hymnal and, and just you know, sing or say those, those songs back to the Lord. But uh, we, we're very weak in this area and, and in our prayer life. And, and uh, the reason why we don't pray is because we don't enjoy God. And, uh, and again, the goal of prayer is, is God himself. He is our friend. He is holy. He's all those things. And, uh, and so I want to encourage you uh, uh, with that matter of worship. We may hit that a little bit later on in this message. I don't know. I have notes and I'm not sure all where the Lord is going to take us tonight. But uh, we're here in, in Isaiah 57 and verse number 15. Now this is God speaking about Himself. If there's anybody that can describe God or give the commentary on God, it is God. My homiletics teacher told us, the preacher stands in a unique position of introducing people to God. He said, don't misquote God. My lips are are too feeble to describe what uh, the Lord, I'm going to seek to do some things tonight, and and I don't want to misquote God, and I want to introduce you tonight to God. I approach this passage with fear and adequacy. My oratory falls short of what's required in this verse, (laughs) to preach this verse. And I feel like Moses, when he stood before the Lord in the burning bush, that take off thy shoes for the place wherein thou standest is holy ground. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite one's. Tonight, I want to introduce you to His, number one, His position. Number two, His presence. Number three, His person. And then number four, His passion. Number one, His position. How does the Bible describe His position? We see that it is high, that He is the high and lofty one. He is high. This coincides with Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1, where Isaiah uh, it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Now, this is inaccessibly high. This is higher than, than you and I can think. I lived in North Carolina for six years. Uh, I was on the six-year family plan for getting a four-year degree. Uh, I had failed uh, classes. There wasn't one class that I thought was, uh, was a wasted class. Some classes I took twice because I failed them. And, uh, but uh, one of those was Greek, and I had to stay a little longer. I knew I was going to be there five years. I didn't know I was going to be there six. But I remember going to North Carolina, and I grew up in Sacramento and uh, live in California just about all my life. And I remember being there in North Carolina. It's a very hilly place. And, and some of the guys said, hey, Tim, we're going to go out to Crowder's Mountain, and we're going to go hiking. Would you like to go? And, and I had uh, some other things I needed to do. I said, no, I, I didn't even know there was a mountain around here. And, and, uh, and so, you know, they went, and, and uh, months went by, and I'd hear about this Crowder's Mountain, and I'm thinking, I don't even know where there is a mountain around here. And, and then as I was driving with one of my friends, he says, Tim, over there is Crowder's Mountain. And I said, no, it's not. That's a hill. Uh, that's not a mountain. That's a hill. And uh, he says, no, that's Crowder's Mountain. And I, and I said, no, Dave, that's a hill. Now, let me give you the elevation of Crowder's Mountain, 1,624 feet. Okay, that's Crowder's Mountain. It rises about 900 feet above elevation of where where, where, where everything's at. So it's a hill to me. Again, I've grown up in California. My favorite mountain is Mount Shasta, over 14,000 feet. I've gone through the Sierra Nevadas just this last week and uh, been to Colorado, Utah, and and, uh, all of those places. And and this, to me, in North Carolina, that's, that's a hill. But to those that live in North Carolina, that's a mountain. They think that's a a mountain, that's a high place. I think for most of us Christians, we look at God as if it's Crowder's Mountain. We say, this is God right here. He's this high. He's this powerful. He's this great. When when there's others that, uh, that, you know, that other mountains like Mount Shasta or Mount Whitney or, or, uh, you know, the different ones, of course, Everest, that are far greater than, than, and I've never seen Everest, probably none of us have, and that are far greater than anything we've ever seen. And we live so often in such a low view of God and a low view of who He is. We live with this Crowder's Mountain mindset. Some people live in a place where their view of a mountain is not very high, and some people live in a place where their view of God is not very high. Someone said we cannot think high enough thoughts about God, but we ought to try. What's the highest thought you can think about God? He's higher than that. What's the greatest thought you can think about God? He's greater than that. And then you think about His attributes, His wisdom, how wise God is. It's greater than you and I can fathom. His grace, His mercy, His love, His holiness, all of these things about God. We want to think High thoughts and you ought to think higher thoughts about your God because you can't think high enough thoughts about God, but you ought to try. Some people think that they can go live a life with known sin, fulfill your responsibilities, and God's okay with that. God is never okay with sin. You see, a low view of God is going to produce a low view of sin. A high view of God is going to produce a hatred for sin. God hates sin. So much more than we can even fathom, and it's not that uh, you know the, what, what bothers God is not that the that the the, the lost are, are are sinners that they're sinning, that's that's normal for them. But it's it's us Christians that know that we need to be right with God, and yet we have iniquity, and and iniquity is is sin that we know that we shouldn't be doing, but we continue on anyway. Isaiah fifty nine, just the. Page or two over. It says, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that, is, that, it, that it cannot save. Neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. God has his extended hand. He has exceptional hearing. This is his divine ability. And though God is so great and so high, it's not the, that God is so high and we are so low that separates us. Verse number two, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. He is high. He is exalted above all. Some people believe the lie that, that uh, you're, you're, you're trapped in this sin. Right now, you may feel stuck. You may feel like you can't get victory over these different sins. You don't think that God can help you with your anger or your bitterness or your lust or your anxiety or your filthy mouth or work relationships or family relationships. You think that you're stuck in that sin, and and uh, and God hasn't called us to be stuck in sin. No, He's called us to obedience, and we can walk in victory. Psalm ninety-seven, verse nine: For Thou, Lord, art high above all the earth; Thou art exalted far above all gods. Psalm one, thirteen: For the Lord is high above all nations. All the nations are big, aren't they? Oh, America is so strong. America's so big. It's it's so much bigger than God. No. He says that He is high above all nations and His glory above the heavens. He's high, but what else? He's lofty. For thus saith the high and lofty one. Now, this word lofty is, describes His position. This is His seat. This is His place. Uh, Pastor, I'm going to ask if I could take your, your seat there, if you would sit in that other one behind. And uh, I'm going to take Pastor's seat. Now this is... This is pastor's seat. Uh, nobody else sits here. Uh, I don't think I would want to sit here. I would not want to be the pastor, especially after last year and all the COVID things. I'm, I'm thankful I'm an evangelist. Uh, many times I've thought that as, as, uh, as pastors had to, to go through all of these things, but, but this is pastor's seat. This is where he sits. Nobody else comes in, just sits down right here. This is his seat. It's reserved for him. Uh, our pastor uh, right now, uh, Pastor Rogers, he had Quadruple bypass surgery and uh, has been without, out of church for many weeks. He's coming back now, but uh, we have a, another man in our church, Roger Whiteside, who's been filling in. And uh, we have kind of the seats up on the platform. Roger has not sat in pastor's seat because that's his seat. That's pastor's seat. And God has a seat. He's the lofty one. This is, this is his position. This is his throne. This is his seat. This high and lofty one is the very part of his eternal nature. He did not earn this high and lofty position. God did not labor to acquire this high and lofty position. He did not steal this high and lofty position from another. He was not placed into this high and lofty position. He did not become the high and lofty one. He is always has been and always will be the high and lofty one. Lucifer, son of the morning, the high angel sought that high and lofty position. He thought to remove the Lord God from his high and lofty place and establish himself in the Lord God's place. Yet we know this only resulted in Lucifer's great downfall out of his high angelic place in heaven. I love Isaiah 14, verse 11. Thy pomp is brought down to the grave, and the noise of thy vials, the worm is spread under thee, and the worms cover thee. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend. Into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet, and I love this verse, shalt thou be brought down to hell, the sides of the pit. Satan's a defeated foe. His doom is sure. The mighty fortress is our God. I love that song as well. Though his doom is sure. And here he is, uh, he is seeking this lofty position, but he is cast down. Why? Because he has pride. Every time lofty is used in the context to man, it always refers to his pride. Lofty is God's position, not ours. It is God's position. We need to cast down imaginations that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. Second Chronicle, 2 Corinthians 10.3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. When you and I have pride in, your, in our hearts, you know what we're doing? God, this, I'm going to sit in this seat. I'm on the throne of my life. I'm going to do what I want to do. God, you, you aren't as wise as I am. Maybe God's going to tell you to do something and you don't understand everything. God has more wisdom and, and, and knows what's best and wants what's best for you than, than you can even fathom. Someone said, if you knew all that God knows and he were to sit down and show you his will for your life, you would say, I want this. But instead, we lean to our own understanding. And we lean to our own understanding. We have that pride. We sit in God's seat. And we're on the throne of our own hearts. You see, everyone here tonight, they have a seat. And that seat is to be reserved for God alone. Not for you. It's for God alone. But there's so many things that can take place in that seat. It could be a a job. We're praying about that tonight. And sometimes we can put work and put all the, the, the job and working all those things, we can put that ahead of the Lord. We can put sports ahead of the Lord. We could put some hurt and again, some bitterness ahead of the Lord. We sit in that seat, but that seat is reserved for God alone. Proverbs 30, verse 13. There is a generation. Oh, how lofty are their eyes and their eyelids are lifted up. We have such pride in our hearts. Again, we think we're so spiritual sometimes when we're really not. We look down upon others. God will bring down the lofty looks. There was a a tent meeting that we had last year. And for two years and four months, pastors that gathered once a month on a Friday to pray for this tent meeting. And uh, God did some amazing things at that tent meeting, but in those two years and four months as we were praying, God met with us in those times of prayer. And at uh, one time, we went out to uh, uh, Wolf Mountain, and there was about 10 of us, and And uh, we weren't going there to preach. We weren't going to do anything but to pray, and to pray over this tent meeting. And we, we uh, I, I was leading the prayer times, and, and the very first thing we did... Uh, as we spent time worshiping, and, and, and the several of us were able to spend about two, two and a half hours in worship with the Lord. And it was a wonderful time. And then we divided up uh, for the next two hours or so in, in personal time of confession. And we went through a pamphlet called Sweet Hour of Prayer. And, and, uh, and we uh, met back again for dinner. And, and uh, my pastor says, Tim, how do you think it's going? And I said, we're not there yet. It just seems like we're just not quite there. And and he thought it was going good. And, and after dinner, we get back together in a room and, and uh, get out a whiteboard. And I w- what I wanted to do was, was talk about the sins of, of the church, uh, the churches that we, you know, the people that we deal with and things. And, and then I was going to go more specific into what is it that we as preachers have issues with. But immediately they went to our own issues. One of the first things we wrote down was pride, pride in accomplishments, pride in standards, pride in doctrine. Apathy, apathy towards our own sin, apathy towards revival, apathy towards the lost, unbelief in God's power and spiritual warfare, jealousy, envy, anger, anger at God, bitterness against God, bitterness against God's people, lust, disappointment, fear of man, marriage, prayerlessness, priorities, wrong priorities, hard-heartedness, anxiety, hypocrisy, lying, we spent time thinking about those things, and there's many other ones, our entertainment, gossip, lack of love, no urgency, sin of ingratitude, unthankfulness, Holy Spirit began to convict our hearts. I had other plans that night. The rest of the night was spent in confession. God moved in upon that prayer time. I debate to tell you this story, but uh, I believe the Lord would have for me to do this. Uh, I was At a meeting some years ago, and and some of the best preachers I know, and it was a fantastic meeting. God was moving, and in just a powerful way. And probably the, as far as ability or or maybe even known or whatever kind of a preacher, uh, uh, lesser known kind of a preacher was going to be preaching uh, uh, that Thursday night. And again, these, uh, the other preachers that had preached, I mean, I have the utmost respect for them. But here was this one man, he comes in, he preaches, and and the whole meeting just got elevated up closer to God. I mean, it was a powerful service. Uh, we both, Megan and I were just broken in tears, and God just moved upon that meeting. And then uh, the next day, we were having a time of prayer, and, and, uh, and they, uh, the whole thing was about a, uh, praying something that uh, an inward man requests. We pray about the outward man, but we don't pray about the inward man. And, uh, and he started talking about the inward man. What's the inward man? And, uh, and the inward man, uh, you have different issues and sins and, of course, pride and, and maybe the tongue and whatnot. I'm thinking, man, I, I'm going to be like confessing my sin to somebody, you know? And, and what you can do is help pray for them. And, and so I'm like, I'm going to stay safe. I'm going to pray with Megan. And, uh, and then he says, I want guys with guys, women with women. And, and I'm like, oh, great. And I was going to go to one of my friends, but he got uh, with somebody else real quick. And then it was just me and that preacher from the night before and another man. And uh, that night, uh, we, we go into, or that morning, we go into this other room. He says, well, we're not going to pray here. he's we're going to pray in this room. And I'm like, oh man, it's going to get serious. And he starts off with me. And he says, Tim, what's your inner man request? And I said, the sin of unbelief. I have the sin of unbelief. And I was struggling with some things. And, and he says, you know, that's the root of all sin, don't you? And I said, yes, I do. And and uh, and I and the thing that I was struggling was with was uh, was can I trust God with evangelism and God providing that for us and things I may tell about that later on uh, maybe on Wednesday but but uh, he begins to pray and and he starts praying one of these prayers like Lord thank you that you're going to take care of Tim and Megan as they go and and uh, thank you that you're going to open up doors and like he was like believing like God's actually going to do this like God's going to take care of us and uh, and so uh, we. Uh, we prayed, and and uh, they both uh, this this uh, one preacher and this other preacher. They both had tears for me, and and I'm thinking I'm not as broken as these two other men. And then it went to this next preacher, and, and they said, "What's your interman request?" And he said, uh, "He says I I got out of the military a couple of years ago. I'm I'm the uh, the the soul winning director at this church, and he says, but my heart is so cold towards souls right now. He says I don't even know why i what I'm doing. He says I don't even know why I'm there." And, uh, and he began to break down, and so we spent time praying for him. And, and then uh, we got to the, the, the preacher, the other preacher, in it, and we said, all right, what's your inner man request? And he said, the thought, life, and fear. And I'm like, whoa, this just got real. <laughs> and he begins to cry. He says, you're looking at the worst sinner here. And that wasn't a false humility by any means. He really believed that. There's a quote that I'm going to get to at the end of the, near the end, but I'll hit it now. Charles Spurgeon said, The nearer a man gets to God, the more he sees his sinfulness. And he begins to cry, and he, he, he says, I, you know, It's the thought, life, and fear. And, and, I, and we you know, spent some time praying for him, but I thought, Wait a minute. God just used you in the greatest of ways through this whole week. He just elevated the whole meeting up closer to the Lord. He used you to do that. And yet you're so broken over your sin... You see, he had a high view of God and a hatred for his sin. You see, when revival comes, there's going to be brokenness, but that brokenness is also a fruit of that or what helps that is openness. You see, when you get to Peniel, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It's only between you and God, and he knows everything. You see, if you don't please God, it doesn't matter who you please. And if you don't please God, it doesn't matter who you please. It's all about God. That night in the, uh, that, that prayer time changed my life. One of my friends said to me, Tim, I, I don't think I've ever heard that statement before. <laughs> I've heard a preaching service changes your life, but a prayer time, yeah. Prayer time changed my life. The prayer time that we had at Wolf Mountain for that tent meeting, it changed us. God moved in, he broke us, and we need that today. When revival comes, it's not comfortable. It hurts. It's painful in the beginning. And again, we, we, we shun away from it. When the pain starts coming, God starts pressing upon your heart and you say, no, I, I don't want to go through that, Lord. And you begin to resist Him. Don't resist Him. He knows what's best. We sing the song, I can trust Jesus. <laughs> Let's live that life. <laughs> I can trust Jesus. God, I'm not going to resist you. I'm going to submit. I'm going to surrender. I'm not going to have this, take this place, this, this lofty position. God, this is yours. I surrender, I yield all. God will bring down the lofty looks. Those that defy him now someday will be humbled and they will bow the knee. Isaiah 2.11, The lofty looks of a man shall be humbled and the haughtiness of men shall be bowed down and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon everyone that is proud and lofty and upon everyone that is lifted up and he shall be brought low. Isaiah 5.15, and the mean men shall be brought down and the mighty men shall be humbled and the eyes of the lofty shall be humbled. This loftiness of, that, that you will have, God will bring down. You see, you cannot go against God and win. You can't do it. You're going to lose. So just submit to Him now. Oh, that our prayer would be is Psalm 131.1, 1, Lord, my heart is not haughty. Neither mine eyes lofty, neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. This is God's position. This is his seat, the lofty position. He's high and lifted up. But now let's look at his presence. It says he, for thus us say it, the high and lofty one that inhabited the eternity, whose name is holy. He inhabits eternity. This is where he dwells. Now, you may visit many places, but you only dwell uh, in one place. You have one home. Of course, Megan and I, we're all over the place. Uh, but we do have a, a parsonage that we live in, but but the word inhabiteth means to settle down, to, to abide, to dwell. And so this is God's home, eternity. He's there and, and his name is holy. He lives in that high and lofty place, but then he's eternal. Psalm 90 verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth, wherever thou hast formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Psalm 93 2, thy throne is established of old, thou art from everlasting. Our four score 10 years are feeble compared to eternity. The Bible says that our life is but a vapor that appeareth a little time and then it vanisheth away. We become too time conscious, too earth bound. We don't live with eternity in view. And that's where God dwells. We're, we're, we're so concerned about the here and now. God is, is concerned about the then and there. Leonard Ravenhill said, the devil has thrown the dust of time into our eyes and has blinded us to eternity. When revival comes into your heart, eternity will seem so real. Nothing else will matter but God and eternity. Colossians 3, 1, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you're dead and your life is hid with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye appear with him in glory. It is time to awake to righteousness. It's time to awake to the eternal, uh, the things of, of God. He says, Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. This past year, some churches have really moved forward in, in the area of finances. I believe one of them, one of the reasons why is because we don't have as many things that, you know, restaurants and whatnot to spend it on. So like, you know, we're going to give this extra money to the Lord. They became a little more eternity conscious, and we need more of that. Isaiah fifty-two one, awake, awake, put on strength, O Zion, put on thy beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. We don't live with eternity's values in view. Someone wrote the song with eternity's values in view. May I do each day's work for Jesus with eternity's values in view. Jonathan Edwards in the Great Awakening, the prayer, the passion was, God stamp eternity onto my eyeballs. Oh, that God would stamp eternity upon us. Chinese Christians said, Americans live as as somebody wrote the book, your best life now. He says, Americans live for the, for the now. He says, us in China, we live for eternity. Our best life is not now. Our best life is later on. Eternity, that's what the first first century Christians were consumed with. We've been low to sleep and, and, and it's time to wake out of our sleep. Consider eternity. In the grand scheme of things, our life just isn't much. Just that vapor, just that, that flower of the grass that withereth away. There's a man, his birthday is today. I, I've been praying for his salvation and he's, he's not considering eternity. Some people say, oh, it's not time to get saved. Proverbs 27.1, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. We don't know what tomorrow holds. Last two months, I've lost two friends about my age, both in the ministry. Uh, And it just said, I don't know when my last day is going to be. I don't know if this is the last time I'll ever get to preach. This may be it. We don't know. It's time to think of eternity. Some people say, oh, it's not time to get saved. It's not time to think of eternity. Hebrews 9, 27, as is appointed to men once to die, but after this, the judgment. There are two places the Bible teaches that our our soul will go after death. It's either heaven or hell. And after you die, it's too late to consider eternity. So many things are coming out of my notes. I was was, uh, fasting one day, and I was in a meeting during my first year of evangelism, and I was praying. I said, God, I I don't know what I need. I hadn't planned on fasting, but I was just so desperate for God and needed something from God. and, And I just kept saying that, Lord, I don't know what I need from you, but I need something. And and I mean, just hours went by, and I said, God, I'm not sure what I'm asking. I'm not sure what I'm wanting. I just, I need something. And finally, the Lord put upon my heart to go to the cemetery. The cemetery is a good place to pray. It's a time to consider eternity, think about eternal things. And there's a man in our church that had recently passed away, Earl Rainbolt, and faithful man of God. I remember shaking his hands as a strong handshake. And, and I went to see his grave marker, and I'm thinking about Earl Rainbow, just a faithful man. And, and then I'm walking around the, the, uh, the cemetery there, and I'm looking at the different grave markers, and I try to find out how old they were when they passed away. And then I'm looking at the, the, the date of their birth, the birth, de- the death, all of that. I'm like, well, I'm sure those things are correct. But I wonder what else would be correct on this grave marker. Are they really singing with the angels? Are they safe in the arms of Jesus? You know, are they walking on the streets of gold as their, as their grave markers uh, profess? And I'm sure that, that there are some like Earl Rainbow that knew Christ, and, and they're in heaven today, but I, I'm sure that many others are in hell. They're, the, they're, they're going to be in the lake of fire forever and ever, and hell has no exits. And as I began to look at the grave markers, and, and I looked up, and it's like all the grave markers were looking at me like a great congregation. And and inside, my my heart, I just wanted to preach and give them the gospel, but my tongue was silent because their decisions have already been made. There's no more hope. It's done. That night I got up to preach and opened up my Bible and God just gave me a vision of those that I'm preaching to are going to have grave markers. You see, now's the time to live for Christ. Now's the time. If you're going to take risks, you're you're going to step out on faith. It's now. If you're gonna get serious for God, it's now. Stop wasting time. You don't have it. Your life is but a vapor. It's time to consider eternity. Eternity, when it comes to heaven and hell, eternity is too long to be wrong. You don't wanna be wrong in this. If you believe, put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation, you can know that you have eternal life. John 3:36, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not of the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. It is only through Christ that we can go to heaven. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. When is it time to get saved? Now. Behold, now is the day of salvation, 2 Corinthians 6, 2. One of my evangelist friends, Dwight Smith, he was mentioning that. He says, if I knew I was lost... And I knew that, that that I needed Christ to save me. I wouldn't even wait till the, the sermon's over. I would stand up right now and say, I need to get saved. This is about, I don't know, maybe a year or two ago, a, a lady stood up and she says, I need to get saved. <laughs> and uh, interrupted the service, which was great. And she got saved that night. I wouldn't have waited until the end of the invitation. If I knew I was lost, I would get it get settled right now. I don't mind if you interrupt right now. <laughs> if they, we were thinking about eternity, That's more important. I can't think of anything more tragic than being complacent about your eternal destination. As you get closer to God, eternity will be more important to you. We see that this is His his presence. He lives in eternity. He dwells there. But now we see His person, that He is holy. It is upon this eternal perfectness and this eternal faithfulness that our God has founded the promise of revival in Isaiah 57.15. He is holy. His name is holy. This is not simply that his name is a holy name, but that we may know him by the name, the Holy One. His very name is holy. It exemplifies his character. Luke 1:49, holy is his name. Matthew Henry writes, speaking of Isaiah chapter six, here is one of the most glorious titles praised. He is the Lord of hosts of their host, of all hosts. And one of the most glorious attributes, his holiness, without which his being the Lord of hosts could not be so much as it is the matter of our joy and praise, for power without purity to guide it would be a terror to mankind. None of all the divine attributes is so celebrated in Scripture as this is. We have the Holy Bible or the book of holiness. The Holy Ghost or the spirit of holiness. God is holy. You know, out of all the words that he used to describe God, it's not the word that is mercy that is most used, though in Psalm 136, every single verse says his mercy endures forever. It's not the word grace. It's not the word love. The word that is used to describe God more than any other word is the word holy. You see, the best way I can describe God to you tonight is that he is holy. And his holiness is the foundation of all of his other attributes. Because God is holy, he is just. Because God is holy, he is loving. Because God is holy, he is merciful. Because God is holy, he is gracious. And everything about God is holy. His grace is holy grace. His love is holy love. His mercy is holy mercy. His justice is holy justice. First and foremost, God is holy. Exodus fifteen eleven. Who is likened to thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is likened to thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? His holiness separates him from all other gods. What should be our response to this holy God? Someone, or 1 Samuel 2.2, 2, There is none holy as the Lord, but there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. Talk no more exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. 1 Samuel 6.20, Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? He is worthy of worship because of His holiness. Exalt the Lord our God, worship at His holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy, Psalm 99 and verse 9. And He has called us unto holiness. 1 Peter 1, 15, But as He which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Revival and holiness go hand in hand. Now what is holiness? Holiness means to be set apart. So I'm supposed to be, if this is sin, I'm supposed to be set apart from sin. But it doesn't just mean set apart from something. It means set apart unto something. I'm going to be set apart from sin. Why? So that I can get closer to God. That's holiness. When you pursue holiness, you're saying, I'm going to separate myself from sin and I'm going to pursue God. You see, revival starts when the pursuit of holiness starts. And revival stops when the pursuit of holiness stops. You say, God, I'm I'm going to go over this way. I'm going to go do my own thing, and that revival that God has been working in your heart stops. Billy Graham lamented that out of all the Crusades, it never made a big impact upon America. I believe the reason for that is a lack of separation, holiness. God is holy, and so you're saying I'm not going to do these things. Why? Because I want to get closer to God. Same thing as Meg and I get married. It's holy matrimony. What am I saying? I'm saying, you know what, I'm going to separate myself unto, from all others and separate myself unto her. That's holiness. It's not, okay, I'm not going to do certain things and I'm going to have all these outward things. No, it's not about just the outward. No, it's the pursuit of God. If you love me, keep my commandments. That's why we're obedient. That's why we want to separate from these things so that we can get closer to God. The goal is God. The passion is God. We don't have strong prayer lives because we're living over here. We need to get closer back to God. Again, the goal of prayer is God. Evangelist Benny Beckham said in his meetings, he says, the meetings is just trying to get the people prepared to pray. Just get them to that place to pray, to get the sin out. So we can get closer unto the Lord. Revival and holiness go hand in hand. 1 John 2, 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. A proper love toward God will produce a holiness of life. When a Christian loves the world, he really does not love God. That's a severe assessment, but it's a scriptural one. Separation keeps churches and families on the right path. Separation is part of our love toward God. We have an adulterer here tonight. I'm not saying maybe physical, but... James 4.4, 4, the adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not, the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be the friend of the world is the enemy of God. You see, there's some things we need to separate from. Why? So we can get closer to God. So we can get back to that place of prayer, that, that intimacy, that oneness that He wants to have with us. You must separate yourself. Book of Psalms, Psalm 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. You see, he's separating from the seat of the scornful, he's separating from those and saturating himself in God's word. He's being consumed with God. Those in heaven worship God for his holiness. Revelation 4 and verse 8, the four beasts had each of them six wings about them, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, holy holy, holy, Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. You see, everything about God is holy, and He's called us to holiness. Lunar Ravenhill said, one of the greatest miracles that God does today is to take an unholy man out of an unholy world and make him holy and then put him back in that unholy world and keep him holy. One of the greatest miracles that God does today is to take an unholy man out of an unholy world and make him holy, then put him back into that unholy world and keep him holy. You see, his name is holy. And he dwells in that high and lofty place. I want to share another verse. Revelation 15, verse 3. I don't know what the music's going to sound like, but here's here's some of the words. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, this is what we're going to sing in heaven. Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty just ensure thy ways, thou King of saints, who will not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name, for thou only art holy. His holiness is our humility. His holiness is our humility. It's our brokenness. When we see him high and lifted up, we see him exalted. We see that he hates sin and and, and, and one of my prayers is, God, am I losing my hatred for sin? How's my attitude towards the, the sins that I struggle with? I want to hate my sin. And when we hate our sin, we're going to have victory over it. We're going to have obedience over it. One of the reasons why we, we have such a problem with sin is that we love it too much. But when we have that high and holy view of God, it's going to produce that, that hatred for sin. His holiness is our humility. But then His humility is our holiness. Christ came so that we can become holy. We notice his position, his presence, his person. But now lastly, his passion. This verse is just tremendous. I love that whole first part, but I love the next two words. He says, I dwell in a high and holy place with him. Oh, he's great. He's magnificent. He's majestic. He's high and lofty one, but he's a God that wants to be with us. He's intimate. He's personal. With Him also, that is of a contrite and humble spirit. What is God's passion? His passion is to be with Him. His passion is to be with us, to have that oneness, to have that intimacy, that closeness with Him. Out of all creation, His attention's on us. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is Thy name and all the earth. Thou hast set Thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings is thou ordained strength that thou mightest because of thine enemies that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger? When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained, what is man? That thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? His attention's on us. He wants to be with him. He wants to be with us. And again, he dwells in that eternal place that he dwells in that high and holy place, but he wants us to dwell with him. You see, revival is not just a one-time experience. It's a daily walk. It's daily walking with Him. Biblical revival is a matter of daily walk. Psalm 34, verse 18, The Lord is nigh unto them that have a broken heart, and saveth such as to be of a contrite spirit. He wants to be with us, that intimacy, that oneness. The Lord wants to, wants to be so close to you. I just, my, my heart is just just aching for the Lord and, and how He desires that you would be so close to Him. But He not just wants to be with us, He wants to revive us. His passion is revival. He says He wants to be with Him also as a contrite and humble spirit and then to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. We live so below what God desires of us. A.W. Tozer said, we'll go into eternity and, Stand in the judgment seat of Christ and we'll look at all of the riches we could have had in Christ and we'll come as if we're just a pauper, just a poor man. By the way, wood, hay, and stubble, it is, uh, it's things that are above the ground. Gold, silver, and precious stone is below the ground. A lot of things that we do, such as prayer is gold, silver, and precious stones. The prayer time we had last night was tremendous. With the man, the prayer time we had tonight was tremendous. I believe that's that's... That's something that God's been using these last two nights. I encourage you to be there tomorrow night as well if you're able to. Those, that's gold, silver, precious stone. That's below the ground. But we live so below what God desires of us. John 10.10, 10, the thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. You see, you don't have to stay stuck where you're at right now. God's in the reviving business you may feel like you just can't get victory. You can't, you're just in a, in a situation. God can revive it. You have a great big God that can do with the impossible. Oh, there's sins that are binding that just, just strangle us. we mentioned bitterness. We've mentioned lust and pride and prayerlessness. Bitterness towards God, bitterness towards man. And this last several years, bitterness towards government. <laughs> but God can get us out of all of that. God can revive your heart. You can walk in victory. You can be obedient. There are things God wants to do with you this year that that if you knew, it would blow your mind. I mean, places of prayer that he wants to take you, pastor encouraged the other night, if you've never gone an hour, seek to go an hour. I love that. And in revival, God isn't just seeking to get us back where we were. He's seeking to get us farther than we've ever been. Psalm 138, verse six, though the Lord be high, yet he hath respect. Unto the lowly. Micah 6.8. He has showed thee, O man, what is good and what that the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. God is seeking to revive us. But we must come with a broken and a contrite heart. God is calling. He's confronting. And it's our responsibility to respond in humility to his conviction. I believe the illustrated passage of Isaiah 57.15 is Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah was confronted with the holiness of God. He had just been preaching the previous five chapters against the nation of Israel, and and then he gets confronted with the holiness of God. And this is the preacher, and he says, woe is me, for I am undone. He's been saying, woe is thee, (laughs) to the nation. But after getting confronted with the holiness of God, he says, woe is me, I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. It wasn't just the sins around him or about him. It was the sins within him, the preacher himself. One of the phrases in that passage has always intrigued me when it says in the year that King Uzziah died. Why would they put that in there? You know, God does not waste words. There's a purpose that He has in there. We're not going to take the time to it, I to go to it. But in 2 Chronicles 26, Uzziah was a king. He became king at 16 years old. He sought the Lord, and, and uh, he had uh, great prosperity, and God used him in some great ways. Second Chronicles 26 and verse 5, well you can go ahead and turn to it if you like to. It uh, says, as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. And then it goes on to tell about how some great things that he had done. And uh, he went forth on 26 verse 6 of Second Chronicles, He went forth and warred against the Philistines and break down the wall of Gath, the wall of Jebna, and the wall of Ashdod, and built cities about Ashdod among the Philistines. And God helped him against the Philistines. He's he's seeing great victories in his life. Why? Because he's seeking God. God's doing it through him. Verse number 15, And he made in in Jerusalem engines invented by cunning men to be put on the towers, upon the bulwarks, to shoot arrows and great stones with all. These are catapults, and his name was spread far abroad. Where he was marvelously helped until he was strong. Last week, Meg and I were in Oregon at a Bible conference, and one of the preachers preached out of this passage. Went back to, the, to our hotel, and I was going through the notes of, that I took that night and going through this passage again, and I said, Lord, where, where am I at in this? Lord, you've helped me to do a lot of things, but I don't want to be strong. I want to be dependent. I want to be weak. I want to be uh, dependent upon you. Look at verse 16. But when, he was in strong, but when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. So here is the king. He has no right to go into the temple to burn incense. That is reserved for the priest. But he thought because of his position, he could go in there and burn incense. And he neglected and... and, and uh, Uh, profane, the holiness of God. He lost his vision of God. He lost the high and lofty position of God, the holiness of God. And he began to become complacent with his sin. And Azariah the priest, verse 17, went in after him, and with him fourscore priests of of the Lord that were valiant men. And they withstood Uzziah the king and said unto him, It appertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord. But to the priests, the sons of Aaron that are consecrated to burn incense, go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed, neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord God. Then verse number 19, Then Uzziah was wroth and had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was wroth with the priest, the leprosy, that's how he died, the leprosy even rose upon him, his forehead, before the priest in the house of the Lord, from beside the incense altar. Here was a man, Uzziah, that was confronted with his sin and God smote him with leprosy. Uzziah died of leprosy. Uzziah died because he profaned the holiness of God. But as I'm reading that passage, I'm looking at the progression of it. When was he smote with leprosy? Was it once when he walked into the temple? No, it was when he was confronted by the priest and he responded in anger. I believe that if he went in there and was confronted with his sin and he would have humbled himself and went out, he would have have lived. We have here Isaiah, that when he was confronted with his sin, humbled himself. And then we have Uzziah, when confronted with his sin, responded in pride and in anger, and God smote him. It is imperative when the Holy Spirit of God Convicts your heart and you're confronted with sin that you respond in humility to God. Brokenness and daily experience is simply the response of humility to God, the conviction of God. God wants that seat back in your life. It's His seat. It's time to, to put Him back in that lofty position. It's time to separate from sin and separate ourselves unto the Lord. It's time to get get rid of our Mount, uh, Crowder's Mountain view and get a higher and holier view of God than we've ever had, have had before. It's time to hate our sin. It's time to seek God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.